This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. Well, open your Bibles uh, this morning to Acts chapter 27. Acts 27, we're talking about anchors in the storm and uh, this text was was planned before before the events uh, in Houston took took place but um, it's very pertinent to what we've been seeing on the news and um, David mentioned earlier just about uh, what's happening and it's our hearts go out to the people that are that are impacted and and you should know that as a Southern Baptist church, we belong to a family of churches that is right at the forefront of the relief efforts, really the, the big three as far as disaster relief in the world are uh, the Southern Baptist Convention, uh, the Red Cross, and the Salvation Army. And you saw the, all three of them together uh, this week sort of being recognized as taking the lead in that and so part of your just your normal giving to our budget goes to the North American Mission Board your, your Annie Armstrong gifts at, at Easter and uh, David will share with you later on just about a, um, a just because of the extent of this disaster uh, there's been a, a, a direct mechanism set up uh, to give uh, directly to that but part of just your normal uh, giving is going to alleviate uh, that situation because of SBC disaster relief. It's really one of the best things that we do as, as Southern Baptists along with, um, with missions. So uh, you're, you're helping to relieve physical needs at the same time uh, giving toward the sharing of the gospel to people that are, are going through an incredible um, crisis. So it's great to know that we're a part of that. Well, we're looking at a, at a literal storm here today in Acts 27. And so we're going to read through verse 25 um, today. And so this is the account of, uh, of what happens on the way between Caesarea and Rome with Paul and his companions. And, and, and we see here some anchors in the storms of life that we can hold on to. Let's look at the text together. Acts 27 and beginning with verse 1. And when it was decided that we should sail for Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. And embarking in a ship of Adramitium, which was about to sail to the ports along the coast of Asia, we put to sea, accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica. The next day we put in at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him leave to go to his friends and be cared for. And putting out to sea from there, we sailed under the lee of Cyprus, because the winds were against us. And when we had sailed across the open sea along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra in Lycia. There the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing for Italy and put us on board. We sailed slowly for a number of days and arrived with difficulty off Nidus. And as the wind did not allow us to go farther, we sailed under the lee of Crete off Salmone. Coasting along with difficulty, 
we came to a place called Fair Havens near, what was, which, near which was the city of Lacia. Since much time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous because even the fast was already over, Paul advised them saying, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. And because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in, the majority decided to put out to sea from there on the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, facing both southwest and northwest and spend the winter there. Now, when the south wind blew gently, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along creek close to the shore. But soon, a tempestuous wind called the Northeaster struck down from the land, and when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way, it, way to it and were driven along. Running under the lee of a small island called Cauda, we managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat. After hoisting it up, they used supports to undergird the ship. Then, fearing that they would run aground on the Sirtis, they lowered the gear, and thus they were driven along. Since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night... There stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. Let's pray together. Father, we live in a broken world, and we've seen examples of that brokenness this week. And, and we pray for the, the people in Texas. We pray for especially uh, churches who are ministering there and SBC disaster relief uh, as they are, are, are not only giving out physical food and, and meeting physical needs, but also meeting desperate spiritual needs at the same time. And we thank you that we get to be a part of that through our, our church's giving. And we, we pray for, uh, for, for your gospel, for the, the light of Christ to shine in the darkness of that situation. And, 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 and more than that, as we're going to see in our text today, we thank you that you are with us when we walk through all kinds of dark storms that come in this broken world. And so, Lord, show us today anchors in the storm. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, obviously, this past week, we've, we've been uh, seeing storm 
images played out across the, the screens of our TV. And for some of us, that was a reminder of past storms in our own area. But for all of us, it's a reminder that we're living in a broken world. And, and life storms are a part of, of reality at times in this broken world. And it just so happens that today we're looking in Acts 27 at one of the most vivid and detailed and famous storm accounts in all of ancient literature. And it not only features sort of edge of your seat terror, but it also features some anchors that we can hold on to in the storms of, of life. Let's take a look, first of all, at, at the setting of where we are at this point. For the, for the past few weeks, Paul has been in uh, Caesarea, where he'd been held there in prison for a couple of years. But of course, the ultimate dream and the promise of God was that he was going to testify in Rome. And so we saw last week that he appealed his case to the Caesar and King Agrippa uh, ordered that Paul be taken to Rome. So on the map here, you can see the route that they take in this chapter. And uh, it begins here on the Mediterranean coast at Caesarea. And uh, then they're eventually going to make their way up to the capital of the Roman Empire, the city of Rome itself. But first century travel is quite a bit different <laughs> than 21st century travel, as we're going to, uh, to, to, to see here. Um, and so let's pick up the action beginning in verse 1. And it was decided that we should sail for Italy. When it was decided that we should sail for Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. So Julius is a centurion, he is a Roman soldier, and he is assigned to be the personal guard for the apostle Paul who was a prisoner. Now, we don't have evidence that Julius had become a follower of Jesus, but he has certainly become a friend of Paul. This is not a normal guard-prisoner relationship. It's obvious from what happens later on that Julius and Paul have established a friendship and Julius treats Paul with kindness and with trust. Verse 2, Luke tells us, And embarking in a ship of Adramitium, which was about to sail to the ports along the coast of Asia, we put to sea, accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica. So Aristarchus is a brother in Christ. He's one of Paul's fellow workers. And you notice here that Luke uses the word we in verse 2. We put to sea, which means that Luke was along for the voyage as well. Now we know that Luke is an incredibly detailed, very accurate chronicler of what happened. And, and, and what follows is uh, true to form because this is one of the most detailed, vivid accounts 
of a storm at sea that we have in, in any of, of, of ancient literature. Let's look at verse 3. The next day we put in at Sidon, this is right up the, the coast from Caesarea, and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him leave to go to his friends and be cared for. Now this is remarkable <laughs> because Julius is, of course, Roman soldier. He's guarding Paul. And, and this was the deal with Roman soldiers. If their prisoner somehow escaped, they would pay for that with their lives, literally. I mean, if, if anything happened, if, if Paul somehow got away, then Julius was going to be killed. Julius has so much trust in Paul that when they get to Sidon, he just allows him to, to, he lets him go. He doesn't even go with him. And he allows him to go into town and to, and to visit with his friends. That's, this is an incredible testimony to um, the integrity of the apostle Paul. Julius literally is trusting him with his life. And that tells us that when Paul speaks on other things, like for instance on the resurrection of Christ, when he says he's seen the risen Christ, this is someone of absolute integrity that you can trust. Julius is trusting him here with his very life. Let's look at verses four and, and following. And putting out to sea from there, we sailed under the lee of Cyprus. When it says they sailed under the lee, that means that they were using the land mass of Cyprus sort of for, as a shield, as a cover in the, from the wind. Remember, sailboat. <laughs> no engine, right? They're totally dependent on the wind for what's going to happen. He says, we sailed under the lee of Cyprus because the winds were against us. And when we had sailed across the open sea along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra and Lycia. There the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing for Italy and put us on board. We sailed slowly for a number of days and arrived with difficulty off Nidus. And as the wind did not allow us to go farther, we sailed under the lee of Crete off Salmone, coasting along it with difficulty we came to a place called Fair Havens. <clears throat> now already, you can see problems developing. This has not been smooth sailing. I mean, look at the language here that Luke uses in, in verse four. He says, the winds were against us. Uh, again, in verse seven, he says, we sailed slowly for a number of days and arrived with difficulty off Nidus, as the wind did not allow us to go farther. And then again in verse eight, coasting along with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens. And so <laughs> they arrive at Fair Havens, but there's been foul weather already uh, because of the, the winds that were developing. Now Paul, was an experienced traveler. He had been raised in Tarsus on the Mediterranean coast off Turkey. He'd probably done quite a bit of sailing in his youth, but then after he becomes a missionary, I mean, you, we've seen an ax of guys all over the place, right? So 
He is all too familiar with what wind can do with sea travel in the first century. In fact, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 11.25, three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day I was adrift at sea. So Paul knows what this is like. He's experienced three shipwrecks. Once he was probably hanging on to a piece of wood for a day and a night. He knows the peril. Um, You know, shipwrecks are just an especially terrifying kind of wreck, not only because of just the the sinking of the ship itself, but the, the sheer terror that leads up to it. Walter Lord, in his book, A Night to Remember, uh, talks about what's probably the most famous shipwreck of all time, at least to, to us, the sinking of the Titanic. On April 15, 1912, at 2.20 a.m., the stern of the White Star liner swung slowly upward to the stars. Her lights went out, flashed on again, then went out for good. As her stern reached higher, a steady roar thundered across the water as every moving thing aboard her broke loose. 15,000 bottles of ale and stout, huge anchor chains, each link weighed 175 pounds. 30 cases of golf clubs, 30,000 fresh eggs, potted palms, five grand pianos, a cask of china for Tiffany's, and most of all, 1,500 passengers who had not been able to get off the ship. The great and the unknown tumbled together in a writhing heap as the bow eased deeper and the stern rose higher. The Titanic was now absolutely vertical, with her three propellers glistening in the darkness. Then she began sliding slowly under until the sea closed over the flagstaff on her stern with an audible gulp. I mean, just sheer terror. Well, Paul has been through this multiple times. And so he he knows the deal with sea travel in, in the Mediterranean. And so he... He warns them. He tries to advise them, beginning in verse 11. Since much time had passed, and the voyage was now dangerous because even the fast was already over, uh, Paul advised them. Now, when he talks about the fast here, Luke is talking about the Day of Atonement. If this happened in 59 AD, which is when New Testament scholar F.F. Bruce thinks it happened, the Day of Atonement would have been on October the 5th. It's always kind of around that time. Well, sea travel for sailing ships in the Mediterranean became very dangerous after mid-September. So they're already in the danger zone because the wind already has prevented, the, it's, it, it's been slow going. So it's already incredibly dangerous. And Paul says, look, we just need to stop here for the winter. Sailing ships didn't even sail uh, from like mid-November through, uh, through like mid-March. 
And so he says, look, we are, we are better off here. Let's just stop. Let's put in for the winner. But in verse, tw- uh, verse 11, it says, a centurion paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. <laughs> so Julius, for all of his affection for Paul, uh, basically at this point he says, hey Paul, listen, you stick to the theology and the church planning, uh, and you know, we've, we've, we've got this covered. Uh, verse 12, <clears throat> and because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in, the majority decided to put out to sea from there on the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, and spend the winter there. So Phoenix was only about 40 miles away from where they were. And so they think, what could go wrong? (laughs) Lots (laughs) could go wrong, as we'll see. Um, Let's pick it up in, in verse 13. Now, when the south wind blew gently, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete close to the shore. I mean, at this point, there's a south wind. It's very gentle. You know, they must have been maybe poking fun at Paul. You know, paranoid Paul. You know, you thought all these terrible things were going to happen. And we're enjoying these nice, gentle south breezes and everything just seems to be going along great. How quickly (laughs) the wind can change on the open water. Let's pick it up beginning at verse 14. But soon a tempestuous wind called the Northeaster struck down from the land. And when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along. Let's skip down to verse 18. Since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. This is just terrifying. Luke says for many days you couldn't see sun or stars. This, this storm is intense. And you just imagine this sailing ship. They're totally at the mercy of the wind. Just imagine the ship just plunging, the huge waves, the ship's plunging, crashing down, coming back up, crashing down again. Cargo just going all over the place. It was so desperate, they threw off every bit of cargo that was on the ship. There were 276 men that were on board, their bodies just being thrown around, just uh, violently, they've probably vomited everything that was on their stomach and then they're so focused on just staying alive that they haven't even eaten for days. And at this point, Paul stands up and and addresses the the crew. Verses 21 and following.
since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet, now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. Wow. Now let's go back to verse 21. Uh, Some people think that (laughs) Paul's kind of rubbing it in here. You know, that he's just sort of, um, he's sort of just uh, saying, hey, you know, you should have listened to me. Well, he is saying you should have listened to me, but he's not doing it to rub it in. He's doing it because he wants them to listen to him now. (laughs) He wants them to understand that he has credibility when he speaks, and it is imperative that even though they didn't listen the first time, can't go back, it's, it's, it's imperative that you listen to me now in what I'm about to say. So what is Paul about to say? <clears throat> He's gonna say some things that are going to give us some anchors, anchors in the, the storm. And the first one is this, it's the anchor of God's promises. The anchor of God's promises. <clears throat> Let's look at verse, uh, verse 22. Paul says, Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. Well, how does Paul know this? <clears throat> what is he basing this on? Look at verses 23 and, and 24. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar and behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. This promise that God gave to Paul that night hearkens back to another promise on another night. You remember what happened? when Paul was arrested in Jerusalem, back in chapter 23, um, he was arrested, they wanted to kill him. They wanted to break into the jail and kill him. Remember that? <laughs> um, and it, things were just, looked like they were getting completely out of control. And God came to Paul in the middle of the night. And we see the promise that God had given him in Acts 23, 11. The following night, the Lord stood by him and said, take courage. For as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. And so all of this goes back to the promise that God had made, that Paul was not gonna die in Jerusalem, And he's not going to die on the way to Rome either. Because it was the plan and the promise of God that Paul was going to testify 
before Caesar in the very capital of the Roman Empire. And so the angel comes to him on this dark night in the middle of the storm and reminds him of that. You're gonna make it to Rome. And not only that, but I'm gonna spare the lives of those who are with you. And so his confidence is not based on sort of a whim. It's based on the promise of God. The promises of God are an anchor for us in the storms of life. So how can we be reminded of God's promises in the storm? The first is this, we need to know God's promises. If we're gonna be reminded of God's promises and the darkness and sometimes the violence of life's storms, we need to know the promises of God. And that means you need to know your Bible. That's why it's so important to, to be a part of a church family where the Bible is, is really taught. And it's why it's so important to be digging into God's word on your own as well. That's because so when the storms come, I mean, you've got, you've got an arsenal of the promises of God to, to draw from. You know his promises. And then second, we need to trust in God's promises. No, notice uh, here in verse 25, <clears throat> Paul says to them, so take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. Hey, you remember <clears throat> another storm that happened? It was in the Gospels. Uh, we, we saw this in the Gospel of Mark. And this is the storm on the Sea of Galilee when uh, the violent storm breaks out in the middle of the night and uh, the disciples are just freaking out. They think they're gonna die. Jesus is asleep in the boat. And so they wake up, they shake Jesus, wake him up. And they say, don't you care that we're gonna die? We're perishing. What did Jesus do? And what did he say? Mark 4, 39 and 40. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? You see, learning to trust God, day by day, moment by moment, situation by situation, that's the battle that's really at the heart of the Christian life learning to trust God in the moment. Oh, that God would make us more like Abraham. Paul says of, of Abraham in, in Romans 4, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised the anchor of God's promises. Second, the anchor of God's presence. The anchor of God's presence in the storm. Verse 23, <clears throat> Paul says, for this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. 
So God came to Paul in the storm. He came to him. We have a God who came to us. This is at the heart of our Christian faith in the incarnation. Jesus came to us. God put on flesh and made his dwelling among us. He is not a God who is distant and remote from us. He's a God who, who came to us. And now we have the, the Holy Spirit of God that has been poured out. And so Jesus is with us always. And he's, he's with us in the storms of, of life. He will never leave us or forsake us. He has come to us. Remember that other storm on the Sea of Galilee? The one where the disciples were out in the boat in the middle of the night and this time they were by themselves and Jesus comes to them. Jesus comes walking on the water to them. And what happened? Mark 6 says, when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified, but immediately he spoke to them and said, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them and the wind ceased. Listen, God has come to us. He is God with us in the storm. Dallas Willard taught philosophy for many years at the University of Southern California. And he was a, a godly, godly man, Christian philosopher and, and author. But Dallas Willard lost his mom at a young age. And he tells about dealing with that experience as a young child. And the toughest times were at night when he would just feel so sad, so alone. And he would go into his father's room and he would ask if he could sleep with his dad and his dad would, would let him get into bed with him. But he still couldn't go to sleep until he knew that his dad was watching him. And he would close his eyes and he would ask his father, he would say, is your face turned toward me? And his dad would assure him, son, I'm right here with you. My face is turned toward you. I'm not gonna leave. This is the promise to us. The promise that God makes to his people in the blessing of number six. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. The Lord's face is turned toward his children in the storm. The anchor of his presence. And then fourth, the anchor of God's ownership. The anchor of God's ownership. Notice how Paul describes his faith to all of these pagan sailors on the ship in verse 23. 
He says to them, for this very night, there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and to whom I worship. The God to whom I belong. Listen, if you were in Christ, you belong to him. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. That price was the precious blood of Christ that was shed for you on the cross and that redeemed you, right? And so listen, you're not your own. You, you belong to him. He created you. He redeemed you. You are his. And not only has he provided for your redemption, but listen, he's provided for everything that goes along with it. When you are in a storm, remember the one to whom you belong. His love, his face, his power is turned toward you as his own, his own beloved child. And he's not going to let you go. And he's with you as you go through it. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that we have a God who is with us, a God who came to us, a God who was incarnated, a God who, who came to rescue us, who came to us and who, who allowed the greatest, the most violent storm to converge on him so that we could be redeemed as he died for our sins. And now he is risen from the dead and he is sovereign and he reigns over every storm that we go through. As Jesus is walking on top of the waves, we know that whatever storm we go through, Lord, you're on top of that. You are sovereign over that. And you care for us and you come to us in the midst of that. And as we just continue to reflect before the Lord, listen, maybe you're going through a tremendous storm in your life today. I hope the Holy Spirit has given you a word of hope and encouragement today of God's love for you and his presence with you and that his promises are sure and that you are his. He's not gonna let you go. He's got this. If you're here today and you're not certain that you belong to this God, there's a way that you can belong to him. That way has been provided through Jesus, through his death for sinners like us, through his resurrection from the dead. God invites you to come to him, to become his, his own very child turn to him today in repentance and faith. And so Lord, speak to our hearts now in this time of invitation. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. If you're here today and God's speaking to you about knowing him, about becoming his, we wanna invite you to come today. I'm gonna be right here at the front. Come share with me 
what God is speaking into your life today. Uh, if you're here today and you say, I wanna be a part of this church family as we walk through life um, together as a church family, we wanna invite you to, to, to come. We wanna welcome you today. If there's a need in your life, you're going through a storm and you just need someone to pray for, we invite you to come and pray. Our altar is open for you to pray. Let's stand together as we sing. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1:12, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine, Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth is now your loving father and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you wanna spend time with them. We get to know God through his word, through prayer and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to Him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where His love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you to come to one of our services. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I could help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.